skill set that's applicable to all kinds of things. I wasn't really thinking I'd become a PM. And she said, no, 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 I promise you this is good. Come over. (laughs) Okay. And so it really was accidental. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this podcast. Well, I had a great time recording this episode, and I think you're going to find tremendous value in it as well. I particularly enjoyed it because I was already acquainted with our guests due to some committee work a few years back, and I think you're going to appreciate the knowledge that she shares in this episode. For this episode, we have Bethany Eggleston, a CPA whose career has ended up going the direction of project management. I didn't realize this until we got into the interview, but there really are many similarities between project management and audit, which was a large part of Bethany's early career history. And as with most accounting positions, people skills and overall communication ability are vital in project management roles as well. This really ended up being a very educational show as well as a fun conversation. I think you're really going to appreciate the insights that Bethany shares with us today. If you do enjoy this podcast, please check us out online. As you know, you can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. I'd encourage you to check out the show notes for this episode, as well as all our other episodes as well. And once again, you can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with my friend, Bethany Eggleston. Well, hey, Bethany, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. I'm so excited. I am too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for our audience, we have Bethany Eggleston on the show today. And I happen to know Bethany personally from working with her a little on CPA Society committees a couple years ago. But actually, she was suggested by another one of our listeners to the podcast. And I hadn't thought about it much, but Bethany's career has went the route of of being more involved in managing projects, and that's a twist that we really haven't explored much before on the show, so I thought she'd make a great guest as well, and and plus, she's just really easy to talk to, so it made a natural invite. Well, hey, Bethany, before we get into, you know, how your career has progressed and, and changed over the years, let's start at the beginning like we do with all the guests. What initially led you to consider accounting as a possible career in the first place? I actually initially studied journalism in college, and I really enjoyed that because I got to go out and talk to people, worked on the school newspaper and magazine, and really got to understand where are people coming from, what are their perspectives on a certain incident or situation. Um, So I really enjoyed that element of journalism. But as I looked ahead, the career path didn't really seem the right fit for me. Um, wasn't necessarily what I thought I wanted at the time. And my mom is actually a CPA and at the time was a senior manager in Deloitte's audit practice. So, of course, she's, you know, take an accounting class, take an accounting class. So I did that and it really made sense to me. My brain liked the organization of a balance sheet and everything adds up and everything foots and everything makes sense. So that was how I first was introduced to accounting. And I was actually a transfer student. So I started at Pasadena City College in California. And then I transferred over to the University of California at Santa Barbara. And the Cal States have the accounting majors. The UCs don't offer accounting majors. So I actually majored in business economics with an accounting emphasis Hmm. is what they call it, hoping that this was the right major for me and I I made the right choice, only having had a couple of um, community college accounting classes under my belt. So 
I joined the accounting association as soon as I got to UCSB. And because I was a transfer student, everyone else had been interacting with recruiters and the firms that had been visiting campus for the first two years. And I felt like I needed to make an impression really fast if I wanted to have a chance in this career or a chance at getting a job. So I ran for office for the accounting association in my first quarter. We were on quarters, not semesters. And I got the public relations role. And that was so incredibly important for me as far as setting the tone for and keeping me committed to accounting as a career. So first, it gave me really regular access to recruiters at the big four, as well as other companies. So I could absorb as much as I absorbed as much as I could about the career, the opportunities, what they were looking for in candidates. I had the benefit, like I mentioned, of my mom at home who was a CPA working in public and seeing firsthand what is that lifestyle, what is that career path, what does that mean or look like. And it also gave me really consistent practice conversing and engaging with senior professionals. And there was also the added benefit of some really nice dinners out from the college student perspective. (laughs) Not one to turn that down. And then second, my role in the accounting association was responsible for organizing UCSB's Meet the Firms event. And in prior years, it had always been the big four and a couple of the review companies, the Beckers of the world. So I ended up contacting everyone I could find, ended up with 20 firms and companies attending. And for me, that just illustrated the impact that that I felt like I could make and the fact that there are so many different paths in accounting. A lot of times in school, you hear big four, big four, big four. And especially for me, I heard audit, audit, audit. I did not go the tax route. (laughs) I have someone else do my taxes. That is not me. I will own up to that real quick. But it did give me visibility to sort of the dynamic elements of accounting as a career and specifically the benefit of having the CPA license. And then last, it really got me interested in and comfortable with the idea of professional organizations because the accounting association is like the university version of a professional association in a lot of ways. And really getting to engage in my career and my industry beyond day-to-day work, all of those things, the accounting association really solidified for me this is a good career. This is where I want to be. There are opportunities here. So I ended up interning with Deloitte and joining Deloitte in Los Angeles right out of school. And that kind of kicked off my accounting career and really provided a solid foundation for the work I'm doing today on the project side of the house. Interesting. Now, you said your mom worked at Deloitte at the same time? Yeah. Actually, kind of funny. She left Deloitte before I interned there. And then between when I interned and when I started full-time, she actually came back to Deloitte. You know, there are a lot of boomerangers that come back in for a period of time. So my first year, we actually both worked at the firm, both in Los Angeles. And my mom and I have very similar tastes. There were times when I'd come downstairs and she'd come out of her room and we'd be wearing the same jacket. And we're like, okay, no one of us needs to change. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that it was a really huge influence for me. There were those moments in the office, right? You're standing at a filing cabinet and someone comes up and says, you're Bethany. I'm like, I am, but who are you and how do you know that? And it's like, oh, I've known your mom forever. I've been hearing about you since you were 10 years old. And you're like, oh, my. <laughs> you know. So had oh, some wow. of those moments. But, yeah, it was really great to have that resource at home as well in navigating public accounting and especially at a big four firm, and especially in a city like Los Angeles. My start group was 100 people. So okay. that was a lot. 
I'm sorry, I just have to ask, because you mentioned dressing similar sometimes. Do y'all even look a little alike? We do. We look very okay. similar. <laughs> we do. Um, same skin tone, same hair, same all of that. Yeah. So, no, we do. Okay. Sometimes you resemble the other parent a little more, so I was just curious, but interesting. Wow. Okay. Did you have a little bit of a, an expectation issue? Well, you know, you're so-and-so's daughter, so did you feel like you had to live up to a reputation a little bit? I didn't. Okay. My mom and I approached things very differently, and so it wasn't so much a reputation to live up to. It was more for me having that support at home, and I never felt like anyone at Deloitte said, oh, well, you know, you're Jeannie's daughter, so we expect more out of you, or you should have a better idea what's going on, or you should operate differently, or, you know, are you getting special favors because your mom's a leader in the organization? And I never experienced anything like that. They do a very good job of keeping family relationships separate. So while my mom was supporting the real estate industry, I was supporting a little bit more on um, some technology stuff as a first-year new hire and then moving a little bit more to financial services into my second year. So I was nervous about that. and It was one of the things I considered when I thought Deloitte over some of the other firms or options offers that I had, but that never manifested in any negative way for me. Okay. I just, I was just curious. I didn't no, that was you would expect so, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I worked with my father, and he was a CPA, but it was his firm, you know, so it was it was a little different. Interesting. Okay, so you spent a few years with Deloitte, and then you also spent some time with a, a regional firm um, mm-hmm. or a little smaller firm as well. How do you feel that helped your career develop? What important lessons did you learn during your time in public or what skills did you pick up? How did that benefit you starting out that way? I think public accounting is an incredible way to kick off your career. Accounting in general is a great career, but there's so many benefits to public, whether it is big four or a regional firm. So almost immediately out of school, you're interacting with clients and you're building that skill set. How do you talk to people about what they do? How do you build trust with people when they know you're in there kind of looking at their work and checking stuff out? How do you build credibility? Um, How do you note someone's mistake and talk to them gracefully about it? You you can't go in and say, hey, you did this wrong. So how do you have those conversations um, in a graceful, respectful manner? How do you think critically about looking at the information in front of you? So I remember once I was brand new in audit and I was looking at fixed assets, and I missed something. So the numbers were duplicated. And in my mind, I'm brand new. It makes sense. Well, you divide them in two, and then it works. Fine. That makes sense to everyone, right? You just divide it by two. And my manager kept saying, that's not quite right. Go try again. So I'd go talk to the fixed assets clerk. I'd come back. I'm like, nope, it looks good. Me and the clerk, we agreed. We aligned. Everything's good. And the manager said, no, try one more time. And after a couple of rounds of this, my manager actually walked me over to the fixed assets clerk and we sit there and go through it together. And that stuck with me. I mean, you're in busy season, there's lots going on. That particular situation stuck with me just as far as being willing to ask the question if something looks funky and not take things at face value. I was taking it at face value and and even the clerk didn't understand. So between two of us not understanding, that wasn't helpful in any way and having the manager get involved, but really dig and get the story and be sure you actually understand and don't just think you understand. Um, so that was one of the nuggets and, and the story. I was like, okay, I'm never going to let this manager send me back to re-audit something again. I'm going to get it right. So I'm going to ask all the questions. Also in public, you're surrounded by a team and you're spending so much time with them, especially during busy season, 
they are shaping your work style and they're influencing so much of how you view work and your career. There's so much foundational stuff that happens in that first one, two, three years. So another example of an experience with a manager that manifested or left an impression on me and what I want from my leaders and the leader that I want to be today is I had a client become very frustrated at some of the questions I was asking and some of the PBC files I was asking for. And so that person came into the room to complain to my manager in front of me. And that manager, she calmly explained what we're doing and she insisted that if I had made the request, he needed to provide the information Separately, after he left the room, she coached me on how I could have handled the request differently. But to the client, we were a united front. And she fully had my back in every sense of the word. And that was another thing that stuck with me is this is your team. This is who you're working with. And it's not about not making mistakes. And it's not about not coaching each other. But it is about a united front and supporting each other and having that be healthy and developmental as opposed to contentious and throwing blame around. So all of wow. these things I'm, I'm learning early, and I think it's because I'm in public accounting and exposed to talking to all these different groups of people and going to different client sites, and you don't just get used to one team that you work with every day. You're re-navigating this all the time and learning how to interact with all these different people. Uh, you have a plethora of mentors and advisors available to you if you're intentional about those relationships. So I made sure I found people that... I was interested in learning from, that I wanted to have a relationship with. And you'd be surprised how many people want that if you just ask for it. A lot of people, I think, are shy about saying, hey, you know, you're more senior to me or you're in a different role in the organization. Would you be willing to spend some time with me? I think people are shy about doing that. But a lot of times, it's like, well, yeah, nobody's else asked me for that. So, of course, I'll spend time with you. Of course, I'll share my wisdom with you. Of course, I'll share my learnings. So, a lot of exposure to very professional people and the opportunity to learn from them. You have this built-in peer network of folks at the same level as you, but they're dispersed across different clients or industries. But you have this built-in sounding board in public accounting that I don't know where else you get that kind of thing. So if you're on a client, like, this looks kind of funky. I'm not sure how to think about that. You have this whole peer group to call and say, how are you doing this? How are you looking at it? And that peer group moves with you through your career. So once you move on to something else, you're calling back and asking the same, you know, the same people, hey, how are you handling this? How are you navigating this? The biggest difference for me between a big four and a regional firm is that with the big four, my experience and at the staff and senior level was that you see a slice of a large engagement. You're really focused on a couple of financial statement line items and, you know, different levels of risk depending on what level you are. You have this huge team and those team members are each covering the rest of the engagement in order to meet the deadlines. At BKD, which was the regional firm I was with for a couple of years, it was a much broader perspective of the end-to-end audit engagement, the risk assessment, the planning, the testing, review, reporting. So you weren't just seeing a tiny slice, you really were seeing end-to-end perspective. The Big Four also has ridiculous resources at their disposal, (laughs) which can be a blessing and a curse. You have every template, every guide, every manual that you could possibly want, but then you also have to comply with all the templates, guides, and manuals. But having that infrastructure in place, I've carried that with me too and, and try to set up that infrastructure in each of my future roles. How do I have that background or backbone of resources to make it easier for the next person that comes into this role? 
so kind of a lot, but I, I think there's so much there in public accounting that sets this foundation and you take it with you regardless of whether you continue a career in accounting or not. Okay. You know, this is transitioning well into what I wanted to ask you about next because I, I was curious. I, I know you, you know, went to Hart Hanks afterwards mm-hmm. and, and I believe you started as assistant controller, right? Or did you move up into that later? I moved up. I okay. joined Hart Hanks as corporate accountant and then uh, moved into the assistant controller role uh, a couple of years in. Okay. You know, it, it sounds like you really picked up a lot of good experience and, and lessons, and, and frankly, it sounds like you made the most of your time in public accounting. I you do know, try. <laughs> we have a lot of younger listeners on the show and, you know, people that aren't at that point in their career yet and, you know, they're looking at their future. Did you feel just super prepared when you moved into industry or, or did you find yourself, you know, when you got in there that, oh, you know, things are a little different and, you know, maybe you had to develop some different skills or or something like that. How did you feel going into that? I don't feel prepared any day that I come <laughs> into work. To me, it's really about you build a skill set and you build multiple skill sets. And it's kind of like triage. So my husband has been a critical care nurse. And when someone comes into the ER, you look at it and say, is it a heart attack? Is it a gunshot wound? Is it a broken bone? And what you're going to do to treat each of those or tackle those symptoms is going to be very different. You're pulling from this toolkit of what do I need in this situation? And to me, it's very similar in my day-to-day work now and when I was in accounting. It's which of my skill sets applies to this situation? Which of these tools do I need to be successful right now at this particular task? So moving from public accounting into an industry role, to me, helped just add more tools to my toolkit so that I could lever or balance that more. I really loved audit work, but there was so much more. It was so different going into industry. First of all, my role at Hart Hanks was so, so broad. I did everything from SEC reporting and drafting earnings release scripts to monthly internal reporting packages to our workers' comp experience, managing corporate insurance policies, administering elements of our 401k and pension plans. So it was a very small office, corporate office, although we were a large company, but it was interacting regularly with the C-suite. And it was such great exposure to how they thought about business and operated as executives that was different from how I engaged with those same level of people or accounting managers or others from public accounting where I'm saying, hey, what would you do here? Explain this to me. And now I'm seeing more of the decisions as they're happening real time. One of the things, I remember my, my very first quarter, I started there in March. And so we were going into the Q1 reporting cycle and I'm in the room to draft the earnings release script and it's CEO, CFO, CAO, general counsel, the then assistant controller, and me. And of course, I'm sitting there going, well, I don't know what you guys need me here for, but sure, I'll sit in. Why not? And at one point, our CEO looks at me and says, what do you think about this part? And I foolishly in the moment said, I'm just here absorbing and and listening and learning. And he said, no, if you're in here, you're participating. And it wasn't that I didn't have an opinion or perspective. I just didn't necessarily feel that it was my place to speak up. So in that moment, he made it my place to speak up and he empowered me for that. So I said, well, now that you're asking, here are my ideas. And that was so huge for me that I'm in a room with 
C-level executives and my thoughts matter. And it's important to know when to interject and when not to. There's a little bit of a dance you do there. But having a leadership team that said, no, 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 we know what we all think. We've been thinking about this forever. You're the new eyes and ears. What do you think? So I thought that was pretty cool and just a totally different perspective. I think the biggest part of that transition from public into industry was that as an auditor, you really are checking somebody else's work. So there's an element of consulting, but at the end of the day, you're doing a review of a limited sample. You're dipping your toe in the water just enough to feel comfortable that everything's good. On the industry side, you're responsible for the entire population of transactions and balances. It's just a different way of thinking. You're actually on the front line making decisions, interpreting the guidance, booking transactions, as opposed to checking afterwards. And I really like the dichotomy of that. I think it's a fabulous experience for anyone to be able to be and see both sides of how that works and manifests. Okay. Something you said about a minute ago or so leads into my next question. You said when I still worked in accounting. And so Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's Go forward from there. So you're at Hearth Hanks, but then, yeah, I know you've worked at you know, a couple energy companies. Take us forward in your career to the present time, because I am curious about how that transition happened. And at one point, you were not, quote, in accounting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a surprise for me too, Mark. Um, I don't think we're ever fully in control of our careers. There's so many outside influences and environmental factors that play into that. So I was at a point where I wanted to get my MBA and I was doing a part-time program at UTSA. I didn't want to do one of the industry focuses. They had real estate or healthcare that felt very narrow to me. And I thought, project management, that sounds interesting. That'll round out my skill set. So I wasn't planning on a career change. I think a lot of people especially new people in public accounting, you start out and it's, well, of course I'm going to be a partner one day. That's their career path, isn't it? I'm going to do my best and work my way up and be a senior and a manager and a senior manager and a partner. And that really was still the path or the thinking when I was getting started. So fast forward, I ultimately end up in accounting, an accounting projects type role at Tesoro. It had nothing to do with project management really, but more trying to get all of the things done that the accounting department wasn't able to do, those improvements, those enhancements, those process changes, because they were so busy with their day jobs. So I was kind of like the extra arms and legs to help them make all of those changes happen. And that role coincided with completion of my MBA, again, with the project management concentration. So I had a really strong sponsor in the organization, and I went and talked to her and said, hey, just thinking about what is the next opportunity within Tesoro? How should I think about my career? And she said, well, we're about to kick up a PMO. Come be a project manager in the PMO. I was like, well, I wasn't really planning on leaving accounting. Yeah, I did this project management MBA, but that's a skill set that's applicable to all kinds of things. I wasn't really thinking I'd become a PM. And she said, no, no, no. I promise you this is good. Come over. <laughs> okay. And, and so it really was accidental. It was I was at Tesoro for one year in this accounting role. And then almost exactly on my one-year anniversary, I moved into a project management role. And it was like, well, hope I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> how long has that been now? Or how long ago was that that you formerly? formally <laughs> got into a project management position. 
Sure. That was early 2015. Okay. Yeah, I think um, early Q2 2015, I, I made that switch. So it's been a handful of years, and it's not obvious at the outset, but auditing and project management are very closely aligned. And what was interesting was the sponsor that I spoke of, she also is a CPA and had an audit background, and she actually started recruiting quite a few accountants to come over into project management roles. I was recruiting from internal audit, because there is a skill set and a way of thinking and organization that translates. I even ended up using some of my audit hours from public accounting towards my PMP experience hours to get that certification. They're that closely aligned. You do a risk assessment. You do planning. You execute the work. You do a report out at the end. An audit is essentially, I'm going to say a mini project, although many of your listeners will realize that there's nothing mini about some of the audits out there in the world. (laughs) But it really is a transferable skill set, and this goes back to the toolkit that I was talking about, starting to layer in all of these different tools and when and how to use them and seeing that they're complementary, not contradictory. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't realized it was so closely aligned to audit either. That That is interesting. Okay. We made it a little bit of an easier transition. You're in Houston now, since moved to Houston. You're at CVR Energy, is that? Yes, that's right. Okay. And what's your position there exactly? So I'm the director of projects and controls, which is kind of interesting. I say kind of. I find it very interesting. So I am responsible for delivery of our corporate projects portfolio. So I have essentially the corporate PMO reports to me, and they work on delivering systems implementations, enhancements. It would be business process, but Technology has come so far and so many of the business improvements, enhancements, changes that we make today really rely on and feed into all the different technologies and capabilities that are available. So that's a big part of what that team does. And then on the other side, I also have our SOX controls environment. So it's not a testing group. It's not an internal audit type group. It really is more custody of the SOX environment and driving consistency driving improvements. So one of the things that we did this year was we did a complete optimization of our entire SOX risk controls matrix, our entire population of key and non-key controls, and we actually cut it by 30%, just going through and really saying, is this a key control? Are all of our risks mitigated? Do we have more controls than we need? Is this more of a business process activity as opposed to a true control? is this a SOX control that actually protects against financial statement misstatement, or is this a control that's more about driving the right behavior in the organization and it really shouldn't be a control? Thinking through all of those things. And then finally, I have a small compliance function that essentially is trading compliance, our middle office, and they're just checking that trades, et cetera, are done within the bounds of delegation of authority and that kind of thing. So it's this really interesting mix for me of getting to connect back to my auditing and accounting background through the SOX controls element of the role and getting to be involved in transformational projects and seeing how do we help the business do something better? How do we make their life easier? How do we make things more efficient? How do we connect systems so that we have more complete sets of data to make decisions off of? So I feel like it's this really perfect hybrid role that fit my background really well, and it's going very nicely 
right now. <laughs> Wait, what do you enjoy about being in the, the project management space the most? Variety. Always the variety. That's a carryover, though. I really was never much tied to a monthly close process, even in an assistant controller role, because we had big accounting centers that dealt with that kind of thing. I was tied to quarterly reporting. But aside from that, I really like not knowing exactly what I'm going to do or work on each day and having to pivot based on real-time project changes or issues. So I can have a plan for my day, and sometimes it goes swimmingly, and I'm like, I checked some boxes, I got some stuff done, this is amazing. And sometimes it's 8.05 a.m., and it's already completely shattered, and pivot, reset. So that's the part that I, I really enjoy is that variety and switching and kind of figure out where do we need to be right now? What do I need to be working on? I also really like working with the project teams to get something done to solve that business problem. Hearing someone say, this doesn't work for me or I don't like this or my job is hard because and saying, huh, okay, we'll spend some time thinking about that. What can we do about that? Is it a process change? Is it at a system and some technology? Is it just better understand what happens upstream and downstream from you in the holistic process? So digging in and, and kind of understanding those business problems and improving how we work, which comes with the variety piece, those go hand in hand. And that's, to me, what's so engaging about project management. And I think you get that to an extent in accounting as well, whether it's different client engagements or trying a different industry or whether you're focused more on financial statement audits or compliance or consulting or SOCs or whatever it is. So I think you can get that in several different ways, but that's what keeps me going. Okay. On the flip side a little bit, because if if somebody was going to consider this as a, a career path to take their career in this direction by choice, we want them to be fully informed, of course. So what are some of the typical challenges you come across when you're in project management or what type of person would it be a really bad career choice for? (laughs) (laughs) I would say organization is a key element of project management and the interpersonal. So I say on the most basic of days, you could say a project manager is a glorified meeting scheduler. There's everything on the calendar, is everything happening according to plan. The dynamic part comes in where you're a problem solver how do you get all the right people in the room to have the right conversation and come out with the right solution? And when I say right solution, I don't mean right or best for any one department or any one person. Really think of it holistically from the company standpoint. And that's a challenge because everyone works in their area and they experience their own pain points from their own perspective. So it is very challenging to bring together all these diverse groups of people and say, We need to come up with something that works for all of us. And so you may not get everything on your wish list, but let's see how close we can get. And that can be a challenge. So anybody who can facilitate those kinds of conversations, who likes living in a little bit of ambiguity, who can be flexible with last-minute changes or pivots and adjustments, those are the people that are going to thrive and do well in project management. And I think the folks that are like, nope, it has to be this way all the time. We made a plan and we cannot deviate from it. The plan is obsolete the minute you write it. So that flexibility, I think, is key. It sounds like maybe some mediation skills or conflict resolution skills. Absolutely. Okay. You talked about bringing people together and solving problems. A lot of those problems involve people. (laughs) 
Oh yeah. <laughs> probably all of them. <laughs> and so, and motivating okay. people to get something done. If you think about projects are frequently a project manager may be fully assigned to a project or that's their role is to make sure this project happens. Everyone else has a day job. They have other stuff to do. So it's how do they find time in that? How do you help them prioritize it? How do you make sure that you can get the work done or drive them to get the work done, help get obstacles out of their way so that they can make their contribution to the project because they have so many other things going on. So that's critical. Yeah, I didn't realize when we were scheduling this that your MBA was in project management. But yeah. So there may not be an answer to this, but I, just in case, I am curious, given what you know now and, and based on the experience you have now, Doing this, is there anything differently you would have done in your own education or, you know, any additional skills you would have tried to hone if you knew you were going into this area? Not necessarily. I think my journalism experience served me well because it strengthened my written communication skills. So it's not something I would have done differently, but it is something that I would encourage others to find a way to get a contradictory or seemingly contradictory experience because you would say, well, how does journalism fit in. It seems like you just wasted some time on that before you found accounting. I actually had more of the accounting recruiters wanting to talk to me about what I had done in journalism and my written communication skills and my ability to go talk to people that I learned through that than having any interest whatsoever in what accounting classes I had taken. Everybody's taking the same accounting classes. What are the additional skill sets that you can use to differentiate yourself? Mine happened by accident, (laughs) but still value there. I would highly recommend doing something like working on the school paper for me where you're invested as a team in delivering a product. And I don't mean your average class group project where you all just email your part into each other, smush it and turn it in. I mean, really, truly delivering a product together. You know, for me, it was a weekly edition of the school paper, but whatever that is for you, you really learn how to gel as a team and hold each other accountable and be there for each other that mirrors itself then in the workplace frequently. I also minored in exercise and health science, which was fun and helped keep me sane amidst all the numbers classes and helped me use my brain differently when you're talking about exercise and what's happening to your body when you're exercising and a sports psychology class and is this ever going to help me in any way in my accounting? Maybe not, but it is helping with my critical thinking. It is helping me think about different things than just getting through accounting 101 or 201 or 301 or whatever. A lot of times in undergrad, the focus is to get good grades, to get a job, and you're not actually retaining anything through all the cups of coffee and late nights at the library. It's just crank it out, pass the final, move on to the next semester. For me, the MBA was different. I was so glad that I had work experience under my belt before I went through the MBA program because I felt like I was able to retain the ideas so much differently than when I was an undergrad because I was able to apply them or think about situations I'd been in in the past where they did apply. So I I would definitely encourage some kind of additional training. And if it's not an MBA for any of your listeners, just don't stop learning. Take new classes, pursue new ideas, get an HBR subscription and read that. It doesn't have to be formal, but ongoing professional development is essential. I believe. So that's, these are all things I've done. I don't know that I would change anything, but they're all things that I would absolutely encourage others to do or consider. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank, I'm glad I, I I almost cut that question out. And I, thought, no, well, I still want to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny what you mentioned about writing skills. Or, or it's interesting to me because we hear that some now with you know, grammar and, and just writing skills in general. And everyone wants to blame it on texting. And this was an issue long before texting or email was ever created. I, you know, oh, yeah. People, one oh, yeah. with better writing skills. So, yeah, that some things just don't change. <laughs> well, I want to be respectful of your time, and we have three questions that I end every podcast with. So before we get to that last question, you alluded to, you know, professional associations and, and their importance. And, and, yes, I mean, that's how we had initially met as well. Anything else to add in that area? Because I'm a big believer as well. I, I think... You've got to, you know, get outside your box and, you know, expose yourself to other things. And professional associations like the CPA Society are a great way to do that. But how has it benefited you or or what have you enjoyed about it? So it can be scary to step into those kinds of things. I'm not naturally a super social extroverted person that walks into a networking mixer and is like, hey, I'm here, you know. It's more like, oh, my gosh, find somebody to talk to, meet somebody, just meet one new person and, and that will be considered success. So to me, professional associations is a safer, easier way to do that. Number one, practice your skill sets. So through a professional association, give presentations. I know you and I have visited several campuses in the San Antonio area to talk about accounting as a career and talk about the CPA society. So getting up in front of a classroom and I'm talking about my career, I'm talking about the value of a CPA license that translates then when I need to come to work and give a presentation. I practiced for free in a safe space. Also, I think it's critical for building your network and getting to know people. So I had moved from Los Angeles to San Antonio a couple of years into my career. And in LA, of course, I had my friends. I had the students that I'd been in school with. I had my peer network at Deloitte. When I came to San Antonio, I knew one other person. And Aside from my husband, I guess I knew two people. So it really was, okay, I can meet the people in my firm, which is great, but I I need more than that because if I'm relying only on this, I'm missing out one on relationships, I'm missing out on opportunities, and I'm just that person, like I stated, all the way back to joining the accounting association or working on the school paper. I like to have that other stuff going on. So as far as meeting people... The CPA Society in San Antonio was like a jump start for me as far as meeting folks like yourself. Um, it, there were people that came to Tesoro that interviewed and I saw them in the lobby waiting for an interview and I was like, hey, I know you from this committee we served on. That was huge for me and feeling connected to and not just feeling but getting connected to the San Antonio business environment and having all the relationships in place so that I could help others, they could help me, and feeling supported by that. Now that I'm in Houston, I'm doing the same thing. So I've been very intentional in seeking out the local chapter of the Women's Energy Network, and that's already paid dividends for me in getting to meet some really great people and feel more connected to Houston outside of just the people at CVR, who are phenomenal. But sometimes you need to talk to somebody outside your company. Sometimes you need a different perspective. So... To me, that internal network at your company, but also that external network. And I don't think there's a better place to do that than through a professional organization. There you go. Well, just for the record, you know, showing up to an association meeting doesn't guarantee you're going to be invited 
to be a guest on a podcast. It, it doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I did have to show up quite a few times in order to get this invitation. So. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do end every show with the same three questions, and it gives us a lot of consistency, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback from the listeners on these. So first one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? For me, it's more of a collection of moments. Of course, you have, I passed my CPA exam and that's cool, or I got the promotion and that's cool. And that's a series of accomplishments or milestones. Really, I get most excited or feel most proud when I've helped somebody solve a problem or learn something new. Hmm. And as I alluded to before, that's one of the things I love about projects. You hear all these pain points in the process. You work with a team to figure out the best right-size solution and you make it happen not usually as smooth as all that. I'm making it sound easier than it sometimes is, but those are the moments that I feel really good about. Yeah, you definitely made a difference and it's evidence at that moment. Definitely. Well, second question, maybe a little harder. Tell us about a lesson that you've learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the details of the situation, the better, because that's really how we learn. A lesson I learned the hard way is was really about burnout. I am never one to not ask for help. That's very early on in my career. I had a really great manager who helped me learn to prioritize and set boundaries. So I've always been very comfortable saying, here are the five things on my plate that I have to do. And I have time to get three of them done. And here's the three I think I should work on in this order. Do you agree? And let my leader say yes or sub this one for that one or whatever. But I never had anybody say, no, 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 you have to get all five done. No one really knows what your boundaries are until you set them and state them. And it's not about not working hard or not putting in the hours. It's about being honest and transparent and saying, hey, I'm going to drop a ball here. There's more on my plate than I can handle. So I've never been shy about asking questions. A couple of years ago, I was assigned to an SAP re-implementation project. And this was a humongous project with a lot of moving parts, a lot of people. And I just started working insane hours and I wasn't asking for help. I didn't realize yet that I needed help. I think I still thought, no, I got this. I can do it if, if we can just get one more, one more. But it was 12 to 14 hour days. It was weekends. So very early in the project, I think I maybe was one of the first people to have their project melt down because we all had one at one point, and that's totally acceptable too. <laughs> I, um, I went to a meeting on a Friday. It was all the project managers involved in the project, and it's a senior manager that ran the meeting, and I just couldn't take it. I was sitting in the meeting, and I just felt like the whole world was on my shoulders, and I just needed to go sit and sob it out. So I get up. I walk out of the middle of the meeting. My manager makes eye contact with me and I look back, I'm like, you know, can I give him the signal? Don't follow me. I'm good. It's like, okay. So go to a conference room, cry my little heart out. I'm super stressed. I don't even know what I'm crying about at this point. Call my husband, calm down, go to the bathroom, clean myself up. By this time, it's 4 p.m. on a Friday, and I'm thinking, I just got to get through a little bit more. I'll sit at my desk. I'll get some work done. Anyone who's met me, I'm very red and splotchy if I've been crying, so there's zero hiding it. It's blatantly (laughs) obvious. So I wasn't going to pass off that I wasn't upset, no matter how hard I tried or how good at acting I was going to be doing. But a little while later, that senior manager that was running that meeting came up to my desk and said, hey, let's go chat in the conference room. And I said, you know what? Male manager, female employee, I'll just start crying again. 
I will be okay. I can get through this. Let's not do this. And he said, you don't know this about me, but I have daughters and they cry all the time. And I go to church on the weekends and I cry every Sunday at church. So your crying is not going to bother me. Get up and come to the conference room with me right now. And I'm like, oh, here we go. (laughs) But we had a really great conversation. And he said, I was about to recognize you in front of the group and give you this gift card and, and sort of a thank you for some work I had done. And you got up and walked out on me. I was like, oh, my goodness. So he said, here it is. We see how hard you're working. I think you just need some help. So he helped calm me down. I felt supported. But here's the biggest piece or lesson learned for me. I was fully prepared to just figure it out for myself. I was fully prepared to go back to my desk, take that weekend to decompress and come back Monday and start the cycle all over again. But when I got to work Monday morning, I had a series of invitations on my calendar and it was to interview project coordinators that afternoon to come help me. So within a week, my leadership had set up to get me full-time help, a a 40-hour-a-week person, to supplement what I was doing, to back me up. And I sat there and said, I didn't even know I needed help and I'm consuming 40 hours of another person's time. What was I doing? How was I thinking about it? So number one, I felt insanely supported. That was a model for how I want to behave with my team in the future. But two, it was, I didn't see myself getting burnt out. And I try to be a bit more protective of that now because that wasn't helpful for the project. It wasn't helpful for me. I have no idea the quality of deliverables I was turning in at that point. I'm hoping they were good. I never heard anything about it. But nothing is worth that. And it impacts so much else. It impacts your health. It impacts what you take home with you. It impacts whether you want to get out of bed and come to work in the morning. So that was a hard lesson I went through in the last couple of years was don't forget that it's okay to raise your hand and ask questions. And don't forget that even if that's a practice you already have, sometimes you need to ask a little sooner than what you realized. Or sometimes You need to step back and get perspective and say, is this normal? Is this okay? Or do I need to raise my hand and ask for support? That was huge for me. And I look back and I can't believe I ever did that. And this coordinator came in and she was fantastic. She said, my job is to make sure we get to the point where you're leaving here by 7 p.m. every day. That's our first goal. It took us a few weeks, but within a few weeks, she had me out by 7 p.m. every day. She's like, all right, let's go for 6 p.m. I don't know we're ever going to get there. But that was humongous for me is just take care of yourself and you're going to do such a better job and bring so much more to the table and be so much happier. And those around you are going to notice it and feel it. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. It's easy in accounting roles too, to, mm-hmm. to be so deep in the forest that you, you just, yeah, you, you don't Hello, realize busy how, yes. yeah. Oh gosh. That's great advice. It really is. You're a great lesson. Great lesson. Well, I do want to be respectful of your time. So we've got one final question and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What has been the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So I think the best one I've ever received that stuck with me and influences how I operate today is that perception is reality. And it sounds easy to say that, but if you step back and think about it, it's true. My perception of an event, a situation, whatever it is, it likely doesn't match the next person's. We're all individuals. We all interpret things differently. So it's important to seek to understand others and recognize that each person's perception is their reality. They're not coming to the table in order to be confrontational with you or because they want to have a bad day or because they want to disagree with you. They really are coming in with their view of the world and what they think is the best answer and the best of intentions. So to me, that changes how you can frame or react or think about things is, you know, this isn't about 
I disagree with them and we just want to argue with each other and, and they're stupid and I'm right and, and that's it. It's about, okay, how can I see it from their point of view? What are they trying to accomplish? And that can make me more complete and thoughtful in how I address something. So I think that's huge. And then the only other one I would mention is recently I've been given advice that's really to focus on outcome. So I tend to be a very principled person and that doesn't always serve me because like, well, on principle. Okay, well, that's great on principle, Bethany, but the real world doesn't always operate exactly on Bethany's principles. I feel like it should. I'm working on that. So I'm learning to really reframe situations and my reaction to them through the outcome I hope to achieve. And that's not in sacrifice of my principles, but sitting back and saying, what is it that I want to happen here in line with somebody else's perception is their reality and my perception is my reality? What's the outcome I want and how can I reframe the actions I'm going to take to get there? So those two, one of them is very big for me right now and one of them is something I've carried with me for a few years. Wow. Well, that really is great advice to end this on. I bet you are just exceptional at your job because you're so aware of of the other individual and sensitive to what's going on you know, on the other side of the desk or other side of the table. I, <laughs> I appreciate that. I do try, although it, it does not always happen. It's a lot of reminders and a lot of step back, learn, think about it, and come back and, hey, I'm sorry I said that or did that. Let's try again. <laughs> need to make some more time for more lessons learned the hard way, but we'll save that for <laughs> Well, hey, it's been fun catching up. I learned a lot about project management. So thank you very much for making the time for this. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. It was surprising and very appreciated. Well, that was our interview with Bethany Eggleston. And, you know, some of the takeaways or some of the things that I found interesting about the discussion with Bethany were, number one, how she really made the most out of opportunities to learn. She started in public accounting, and public accounting can be a a great foundation for many people, but really, it's only a great foundation if you make the most of it. And she definitely made the most of the opportunities along the way to learn more and more, and that set her up well for the rest of her career. And then secondly, I found it interesting how her journalism experience early in life continues to benefit her to this day. You know, we're all a little unique. Even if we all have the same accounting degree, we're all a little unique. And I think we need to learn to to use that, that uniqueness to our advantage in our careers. I found that very, very interesting. And I can tell she enjoys that aspect of her job as well. Well, if you found value in this episode and want to find out more about Bethany or our other guests, please check us out online at www dot whereaccountantsgo.com. One publication in our books section that may interest you is 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter. It's the second book that came out. And since the new year is here, I figured that book, if you're considering a career change, may be beneficial to you. You can find it on Amazon, of course, but you can also find it on our own website for immediate delivery. Once again, it's titled 49 Tips for Working with a Headhunter. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast, and we will see everyone next week. There's more to come.